Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Hey, Kit. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope that you are having a very blessed day. You can catch the Bridge Builder Show right here each week at the same time on your favorite Catholic radio station. If you miss an episode or want to catch up on past episodes, just visit us at mncatholic.org slash podcast. But you can also find us on your favorite podcast app, such as SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. In today's episodes, we're discussing education and the role of faith and family in addressing the achievement gap, something that gets a lot of discussion here in Minnesota, as we have one of the worst achievement gaps in the nation. In our mailbag segment, we're going nuclear. That is, we're going to talk about nuclear weapons and the morality of their use. And stick around for the bricklayer segment. We've got details on some great opportunities for you to be an advocate with other Catholics at the Capitol this session. Today, we're joined by Dr. William Jaynes. He's a professor of education at Cal State University, Long Beach, and has graduate degrees from Harvard and the University of Chicago. He's written for many academic publications and has written a number of books, along with writing for the White House uh, in both the George W. Bush and Obama administrations. Grabbed our attention with a recent article. That article was entitled, Faith and Family Play a Bigger Role in the Academic Achievement Than Race or Socioeconomic Status. Welcome to the Bridge Builder Show, Dr. Jaynes. Thank you so much, Jason. It's a joy to be here. We might as well start with building up from the ground. What is the achievement gap, and why does it get so much attention? Basically, there are two types of achievement gaps that get the most attention. One is a racial achievement gap, and the other is socioeconomic in nature. The racial achievement gap is largely between white students, although Asian students tend to do, Asian Americans tend to do quite well academically, and also, on the other hand, African-American Latino students, to a lesser extent, Native American students, meaning when I say to a lesser extent, the achievement gaps are just as large, in some cases larger, but of course, that's a much smaller segment of our population. So the focus especially is between white students on the one hand and African-Americans and Latinos on the other. So that's one achievement gap. As time has gone on, a lot of people... uh, have realized that a lot of the achievement gap can be explained in quotes by socioeconomic differences between children and socioeconomic differences defined as differences in the level of family income as well as parental education and occupational status. But uh, when we say there's a socioeconomic achievement gap, uh, one of the problems in Dealing with this subject is that socioeconomic status is something of a catch-all variable. A lot of people think of it in terms of, you know, something that causes uh, differences, but socioeconomic status reflects differences not only in external factors, but also the extent to which uh, one has a, uh, a higher low IQ, the work ethic, So uh, socioeconomic status uh, is often called a catch-all status uh, because of this. When you're talking about socioeconomic status, is that the opportunity gap? What's the distinction between the achievement gaps and the opportunity gaps? Well, that's a very good question because for decades, 
academics have focused on what is called the achievement gap, really focusing on the actual um, scholastic differences that exist between, between students and looking at the factors that, that cause that. But in recent years, uh, a lot of uh, academics have preferred to use the term opportunity gap. And any time that you use the phrase opportunity gap, what this really does is it focuses on the external differences that exist. For example, students have the same opportunity to attend a given school. It focuses on issues of, of race. It uh, focuses on issues of whether there is equal access to schools. It focuses on an, a lot of external factors, and there are two problems with that, especially uh, number one, if you focus on only this narrow definition, opportunity gap, to say that these differences are largely due to external factors, it takes the responsibility away from the family and the student, it places it on broader society. In the area of psychology, in fact, many of our listeners, whether they have a background in psychology or not, are probably familiar with the distinction between an internal locus of control and an external locus of control. And an internal locus of control is based on the belief that the, ch the changes that are necessary to improve one's circumstances are largely able to uh, be altered by one, one's own efforts as people of faith, God within us, that God can help us overcome. We have a purpose in life. God can help us uh, thrive and so forth. And uh, these would, this would be an inter internal locus of control, meaning we can act upon our environment to improve our circumstances. Um, and that's really uh, at least part of the focus, a large part of the focus when people talk about the achievement gap. However, if one is only focusing on the opportunity gap and external factors, you're talking about an external locus of control where the solutions largely rest outside of the individual, outside of the family. Um, and the problem with that is you can have a sense of what is often called learned helplessness, meaning it's up to society to change. It's up to the it's up to the government to give me breaks so I can get into college. It's up to society to uh, to deal with the issues of, of racism and, and this sort of thing. And, of course, you know, that's part of the solution. I mean, there is, you know, there is racism. There are uh, economic uh, inequalities and so forth. But if we begin to only focus on the external factors uh, people uh, in the end often just throw up their hands and say, I give up. The forces in society are too strong for me. Uh, they might even look for uh, ways to ease their discouragement and their sense of helplessness. They might get into alcohol, drugs, not in every case, certainly, but it certainly is going to increase the, the incidence of this kind of behavior. So that's one problem with looking at the issues at hand uh, as only being an opportunity gap. And then the second problem with examining the problem only in this way is that 
we essentially, in the name of being kind, if you will, and attempting to lift the burden off individual families and students' shoulders, what we really do is, is we narrow the list of options in terms of reducing that gap. And in fact, I wrote a book just recently, came out just a, a few months ago through an imprint of Raman and Littlefield called Eliminating the Achievement Gap, which I think reflects my optimism, meaning I believe that if we focus on the right factors, we can not only ease the achievement gap, that it really can be eliminated. But if we're just going to narrow the factors and say it's all due to an opportunity gap, we're only going to get so far. We're speaking with Dr. William Jaynes. He is professor of education at California State University and author, as he just mentioned, of a new book about the achievement gap. Does the new book, Dr. Jaynes, chronicle your overview of the numerous studies you examined looking at the achievement gap? And is it kind of like a meta study of the studies? Exactly. What a meta-analysis is, and the book is largely based on meta-analyses that I have done that address what are the factors, numerically speaking, that actually are the most effective in reducing the achievement gap. So for our listeners who are not familiar with what a meta-analysis is, and if you aren't, don't feel bad. Most people don't know what a meta-analysis is. So let me define what a meta-analysis is. A meta-analysis is a statistical technique in which you combine all of the studies that have ever been done on a particular topic. And the results that emerge summarize the existing body of research. So one can easily see why meta-analyses are very popular among government leaders, both domestic and foreign, among academics, because who has the time or who wants to invest the energy to read, say, 80 or 100 different studies when there's one study that can come along and say, hey, we've combined all of these studies that exist in the body of literature, and this is what the overall body of research indicates. So they're very, very powerful. They're very, very popular. And when I combined all of the studies that have ever been done on reducing the achievement gap, uh, there were really some surprising results, at least it would be surprising in the minds of many, meaning really at the head in terms of reducing the achievement gap were the importance of these children of color and of low socioeconomic status being people of religious faith, and secondly, being from stable home situations in which ideally children were from two biological parent families, and also there was a high level of parental involvement. So in other words, faith factors and family factors were at the head. And there's an irony here, because if you look at the public policies of our nation and our states, these are not the factors that are most emphasized. And if we're going to reduce the achievement gap, we need to focus on the elements that are the most important and the variables that are most important in reducing the achievement gap. So the results indeed are are very, very enlightening. Some really interesting and surprising, I think for some people, conclusions in Minnesota here for our listeners who don't know, we have one of the worst achievement gaps in reading and math between white students and students of color. And there's a lot of conversation about how to address it, a constitutional amendment guaranteeing students a right to a quality public school education is being proposed. But what other 
public policy solutions might we develop or implement in light of the data and your meta-analysis of the achievement gap, Dr. Jaynes? Well, of course, there are religious schools, for example. And in fact, uh, religious schools were right behind religious faith and uh, also family factors in reducing the achievement gap. If you compare schools of faith in the United States and children who attend these, children of color and also of low socioeconomic status do much better versus their counterparts than in public schools. And two results I will especially uh, bring to the attention of the listeners, and that is number one, in religious schools, the achievement gap is 25% narrower than is the case in public schools. So, and that's, you know, that, that's pretty, that's significant. That's a big difference. And of course, part of that is there's a, a can-do attitude in many Catholic schools and many Protestant schools. I mean, it's, it's emphasized by the teachers and the leadership. You can do this. There's an old phrase that I guess you can't really use in the public schools. Uh, God didn't make junk, okay? And that needs to be communicated to kids because uh, recently, in fact, I, I did a, an interview with, uh, with CNN, and especially when uh, Trump wrote into effect these new guidelines uh, regarding prayer in the schools. And they, they asked me why it was that it, that it was important that uh, these guidelines go into effect and, and be updated. One of the points I made was that we need to understand that a lot of kids growing up in a poor environment in the inner city and so forth, where there's not a whole lot of inherent hope in their situation, my goodness, they look around and they've got so many things going against them in life that for some of these kids, all they've got is God, basically. And are we going to discourage them? And a lot of these kids are going to schools of, uh, of faith. A lot of these kids in very difficult environments are going to schools of faith and there, they're taught that, guess what, in spite of your circumstances, in spite of all the factors in life that seem to be going against you, you've got God. He can strengthen you. You've got a, you've got a purpose. He can help you. And it inspires them in a way that is not so in, in public schools. So that's the, the first thing I want to point out. The other is that one of the most dramatic findings of the meta-analysis is that if you take children who are of faith, children of color who are of faith, and also from two-parent families, the achievement gap totally disappears. And you heard me correctly, it totally disappears. And of course, in schools of faith, you are going to have teaching that encourages children to be of faith. You know, not everyone who enters a Catholic or evangelical school clearly is, is going to be a, a Christian, and a lot of them come to faith there. And even those that already are Christians, their faith is uh, likely to be strengthened as a result of being there. So no surprise that the achievement gap is going to be narrower in these schools. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we really need to take a hard look at uh, a public policy of, say, school choice, where it's easier, especially for families of poverty, uh, families of so low socioeconomic status, to be able to send 
their their child to a religious school because these days it's very hard when most families in the United States between local taxes state taxes and so forth they're paying thousands of dollars each year to support the public schools it's very difficult to pay those taxes and be able to afford private school tuition. So the idea of school choice is either through tax breaks, vouchers, or what have you, give some of these especially poor families the financial means to do what a lot of them already want to do, and that is to send their child to a private school. Really, it seems that the importance of uh, faith is a way of reflecting the child's creating the image and likeness of God. And really what you're saying, Dr. Jane, is helping them a child regain his or her moral agency uh, against uh, supposedly impersonal social forces that are controlling one's destiny is one of the benefits of a faith-based background, or at least a faith-based education. No question about it. In fact, it's important for us to understand that, sure, uh, there, there are academic reasons for families to prefer, ideally, to send their children to religious schools, but a lot of their decisions have more to do with the moral and spiritual climate of these schools. I mean, for example, the data is there that uh, on average, even if you adjust for socioeconomic status, students who are in private religious schools are about one year ahead academically of those attending public schools, okay? But Having said that, the primary concern of a lot of families, especially living in unpleasant and challenging environments, is, wow, I I want my child away from the gangs. I want my child away from the drugs. In fact, I've done other studies essentially examining why it is that religious schools do better and why it is that a lot of parents ideally prefer them. And what you find is in a school of faith, you're far less likely to have gangs. You're far less likely to have illegal drugs. And in addition to that, one of the more intriguing findings is when you ask the students uh, to rate the school in terms of racial harmony, there's much more racial harmony in schools of faith than there are in public schools. And I think uh, to the extent that those listening are primarily people of faith, it's not hard for us to understand that because those of us who are Christians, uh, we understand that, guess what, there's a lot more things important, more important in life than the color of your skin. And of course, it is God. We're, We're part, we're his children, we're his family. We're brothers and sisters. And who much cares whether a person is of this skin color or that? I mean, the reality is scientists tell us we're 98 to 99% biologically similar. So Christians take a step back and say, hey, we're all God's children. We are made in his image. That's really the important thing. We are all human beings. Therefore, we count in the eyes of God to focus so much on race and allow it to divide us really, if you think about it, is very, very superficial. And this helps, I think, explain the sense of racial harmony that exists in uh, schools of faith versus public schools. We're speaking with Dr. William Jaynes, professor of education at Cal State University, Long Beach. And Dr. Jaynes, in our remaining time, 
Can you say a little bit more about family structure as well as having an impact on the achievement gap? Here in Minnesota, there is an almost hand-in-glove relationship between the achievement gap in reading and family structure, that is children growing up in two-parent families. Say a little bit more about the impact of family structure on achievement gaps as well. Yeah, and the data for Minnesota is very similar for the data across the United States that essentially the likelihood of a child coming from a single parent family or even a blended family for that matter goes hand in hand with the likelihood that uh, a child will be below proficiency in academic achievement. And you heard me share earlier that uh, if a child of color comes from a two-parent family, two-biological parent family, and also is a, a child of faith, and when I say child of faith, by the way, in terms of statistical analysis, that is defined not only as attending a house of worship, meaning, or youth groups or what have you, meaning there, there's this external component, but also just asking the child, uh, how important is religion in your life? And if they say yes, it's very important. We defined a child who is, uh, satisfies both criteria as a child of, of faith. Now, the reason why we do that is a child might go to a church or other house of worship or a youth group or something of this nature and not consider himself or herself religious, meaning my parents tell me to go, so I go. That's a very different reality than a, a child who says, yes, I'm really religious and I'm not merely going because my parents say to go. I'm going because I want to go. So I think this is very important, and, and something I think that will encourage us is because some might say, okay, that's wonderful um, in terms of uh, family and, and faith, but what about the effects of, of family and faith alone? So, uh, for example, uh, what if uh, there's someone who is from a single-parent uh, household but the child is a person of faith, is there still hope? And I can say that about half of the achievement gap uh, is reduced if, in fact, a child says, yes, I'm very religious, even if they come from a single-parent family. And the same is true with the existence of just a, a two-parent family without the religious component. But ideally, uh, we want to see both. And we certainly, I think as a society, obviously, we live in a free society. We cannot say to people, thou shalt remain married. <laughs> okay. But I think we need to consider legislation, for example, that appeals to families that may be out of the emotion of the moment. They, you know, they get a divorce, for example, having a, a waiting period, especially if children are involved in the divorce so that their uh, cooler minds can prevail. And secondly, I also think there's something to be said for uh, encouraging couples from the beginning when they first get married to seek some sort of uh, marriage counseling and that you can get your li marriage license fees waived. We have that policy right here in Minnesota, in fact, that if you do pre-marriage counseling, you can get a reduction in fees on your marriage license. Oh, that is encouraging. That, that's important. That's good. 
Dr. Jaynes, it's been a, really a blessing to be with you today and hear more about The Achievement Gap. Uh, your book on The Achievement Gap, can you tell us, our listeners, that title again? Yes, it's called Eliminating the Achievement Gap. Dr. Jaynes, thanks for your excellent work in this field, and thanks for joining us on The Bridge Builder Show today. We'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Atkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to delve into our mailbag to hear what comments and questions you've been sending our way. Kit, what have you got in today's mailbag segment? Yeah, so Pope Francis in recent months addressed the need for greater solidarity around the world to bring about, as he says, a, quote, world of peace free from nuclear weapons. He calls on individuals, religious communities, civil society— countries that have nuclear weapons and even those that don't. Yes, for the military, private sectors, international organizations, really everyone to make peace a reality. This whole subject has people really asking, can we live in a nuclear-free world? And it has people saying, well, there's always going to be bad actors who can't be trusted. So, Jason, what does the church teach with regard to nuclear weaponry and its use And is there a balance to be considered with the defense of life? The popes since the end of World War II have been unanimous and vociferous in their condemnation of war, their condemnation of nuclear weapons, and their strong cautions against even having them, and have promoted steadfastly multilateral disarmament and multilateral negotiations and peace treaties as a way of building an authentic peace. The magisterium of the Pope since World War II has pushed back on this idea, you might call it the idea of deterrence, that in peace through strength, so to speak, that in building up an arsenal, engaging in the arms race and keeping up with quote-unquote opponents is the way, in fact, to build peace. Now, the, the question is, is what do we do in a world where uh, there's proliferation of nuclear weapons? How do we reduce those? And, well, if we get rid of our nuclear weapons, then the bad actors, as Kit mentioned, will have them. That's why the U.S. bishops, that's why the popes have recommended uh, multilateral dis- disarmament. There's a hope that countries will end their stockpile of weapons, will disarm and rid the world free of this catastrophe. If we think about just war theory, what does just war theory mean in a nuclear age? Can there ever be proportionate uses of force? If we think that um, even in defensive war, the use of force has to be proportionate, can the use of nuclear weapons even in defense ever be a proportionate use of force? And that's a a great debate among the moral theologians. But the popes have been very strong and vociferous in their condemnation of the use and possession of nuclear weapons and the need for countries to get together and work together multilaterally to disarm. And so that's what we heard from Pope Francis when he visited Japan recently was a continued reminder that after the uh, end of the Cold War, the nuclear weapon issue is still a big one. And especially as uh, there's conflict between the U.S. and Iran, for example, and President Trump mentioned that there could be a disproportionate response, calls to mind just war theory and whether or not there can be and should be a proportionate response in a defensive war context 
and whether nuclear weapons can be pursued. The voice of the popes has been very strong uh, since the end of World War II about the uh, gravity of the use and possession of nuclear weapons. So it's really an encouragement to think deeply and, and immerse ourselves in the Catholic tradition and the magisterium of the popes on the use and possession of nuclear weapons. Great. Thank you so much. We've got just a couple moments. Before we go, what bricklayer tips do you have? How can people start laying the bricks to build the bridge between faith and politics? Well, we're not holding our Catholics at the Capitol event this year, but we do have a number of opportunities for which you should mark your calendar to be informed on the major issues coming before lawmakers, to interact with your legislators, to be an advocate for life and dignity, and then intercede through prayer. I like that. Inform, interact, and intercede. Mark your calendars for Thursday, April 16th, Wednesday, May 6th, and Thursday, May 7th. On Thursday, April 16th and Thursday, May 7th, MCC is hosting Capital 101. It's like a mini Catholics at the Capitol to advise you on the ins and outs of advocacy, best practices for interacting with your legislators and learning more about the legislative process. Then, of course, we hope you make visits that day as well. We are also hosting on May 7th a prayer service for National Day of Prayer at the Capitol in the Rotunda, praying for our legislators and praying for our state. On May 6th, the day before, we're also hosting a day-long advocacy and adoration opportunity to just drop in, advocate on some key issues toward the end of session, but also spend some time with our Lord in Eucharistic adoration inside the Capitol. We had that last year as well, and people were really excited about it, legislators, staff, uh, people from all over the state came to adore our Lord, to pray for our state inside the Capitol. So again, a couple dates to put on your calendar, April 16th, May 6th, and May 7th. For more information, go to mncatholic.org and find and share that information on Facebook. And our handle on Facebook is at mncatholic. That's all the time we have for today. But remember, you can become a sponsor of The Bridge Builder. Email us at show at mncatholic.org for sponsorship opportunities. Also send your questions through the mailbag segment to that same email, show at mncatholic.org. Remember, if you've missed an episode of The Bridge Builder, you can always catch up with us on our website, mncatholic.org slash podcast, or find us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and with our producer, Kit Cross, we wish you a very blessed day. Thanks so much.